Hey everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. My name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today we welcome Talia Ritchie from Simply Sommelier to walk us through some food and wine pairings for Thanksgiving. In this episode, we cover everything you need to put on your table at Thanksgiving this year, whether it's just you or the whole family celebrating. We discuss our favorite Thanksgiving foods, what wines to pair with them, plus a little bit of surprise barbecue talk here at the end. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to us. With that said, let's welcome Talia to the show. First and foremost, uh, my name is Talia. I have been doing my sommelier journey since uh, September of last year. And it's just kind of like opened up the world for me, for the people that I've met, to the foods I've tried, to the wines I've drank, to just kind of like reaching out to the whole world. It's been a crazy, awesome experience. And I honestly, I can't really imagine doing anything else with my life and my career at this point because I've just made so many friends in the industry and even outside the industry where it's really encouraged me, not only as a young individual in the wine world, but also a young Latina woman in the wine world who doesn't live in California, which is also a huge hindrance in my life to really pursue a kind of career like this. So my kind of style as a sommelier is I like to make it so fun and quirky that you don't even realize you're learning while you do it with me. That is basically my style. So when I was putting together this kind of idea of Thanksgiving, I was thinking back to like my kind of Thanksgivings as a child, which might not have been the best thing in the world because I am Puerto Rican, Italian descent but I was raised in the Midwest. So I've had all the Thanksgiving flavors you could ever imagine. I've had, I've had turkey, I've had turducking, I've had pork, I've had lamb during Thanksgiving, which someone just clarified to me is not normal. So it was quite an adventure making this kind of collaboration of like Thanksgiving flavors and the different wines that I think pair with the best. So before we actually get into the wines and everything, let's have you break it down. Uh, let's go top Thanksgiving foods for you. If you had to choose what's on the table, what are you leaving out and what are you going to have every year? Oh, dude, that's rough. Um, okay. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go hard against the grain. Get that turkey out of here. I'm sorry. We know Thanksgiving is all about those side dishes. Love you guys, but turkey is out. Uh, main course, I'd probably go back to the roasted pork, like the whole roasted pork, but still with the tattoo, like complete Hispanic style. That was by far best Thanksgiving uh, main course I've ever had because instead of like all those turkey sandwiches as leftovers, we had Cubans for the next like week. So we were already winning like two times over. Uh, Side dish wise, I am actually a huge, huge like rolls person. I am 100% croissants over dinner rolls or biscuits. And uh, for greens, I 
I can't, I can't leave green bean casserole. It's like a weakness of mine. I'm I think so those with are all good picks. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a turkey person. <laughs> I don't think you said that was going hard against the green. I really don't think that's that controversial. Yeah. I think I, you know, it's just something I, yeah. that people do, to be honest. I agree. You just like, do it because you feel like you have to, but nobody really loves turkey. It's another excuse to eat more gravy <laughs> other than with your mashed potatoes and stuffing. Okay, but turkey stuffing and turkey gravy is a whole other animal in theory, but it's a whole other animal. Like turkey stuffing is by far one of the most delicious things that is on the table and it made it onto my side dish list yeah. for today. Definitely. <laughs> I don't need the actual bird. The bird can leave. I am going to disagree with you on the croissants though i'm going biscuits i'm a biscuit guy yeah. okay do you have like jams and jellies on your table too i'm not a big fruit guy i'm <laughs> no, taking my biscuit a biscuit with the butter taking, and the gravy wrong yeah i'm taking the biscuit yeah. i'm going straight to the gravy butter and gravy i don't even eat the butter it out straight to gravy <laughs> must be a family tradition on our side <laughs> oh. more gravy is always better now we'll let you do your thing and take us into some of the wines that you might pair with these top foods. Okay. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to take you through like some of the like wine food pairing 101s, like some of the, some of the easiest ways to break it down. So you don't have to go straight from my list. You know, like exactly where my brain's at when I'm doing this. So first and foremost, you have like your six main flavors for what you have going on. So you have your sweet, your bitter, your fat, your spicy, your salt, and your acid. So these are where you're all getting flavors from. And when you pick wines, you want everything to complement around those six flavor profiles of what's in front of you. So um, you have two concepts. You have congruent flavor pairings. So that's going to be like and like. And then you have contrasting, which is obviously like your opposing forces actually complement each other very well. Um, easy example of this is like sweet and spicy food. If you've ever done anything sweet and spicy, it goes really well together. Um, same with every time that you've done like Cabernet and a steak, it's because the tannins in the cab like go beautifully with the fats of the meat. So that's where you're getting like more of those contrasting flavors. And then you have your complementing ones. So that's going to be like your sweet with sweet. When people do like dessert wines with dessert food, that's a big one. Or when you do um, like your buttery foods and your buttery uh, wines, that's another big one that's really popular. That one actually is incorporated huge in this one because I know everybody and their mom uses at least six sticks of butter during Thanksgiving cooking. And I incorporated that because I know that's a hard truth. Um, so that's kind of where my head was at when I was making this list. And when I was thinking about what goes on your Thanksgiving table. Uh, first and foremost, like I'll just, I'll start with like the main meat, I guess, and go out. So when I was thinking like, the main dish, obviously, you had to include turkey because everybody has a turkey. Even if we don't want the turkey, it's on the table. <laughs> Good way to still enjoy your turkey, or at least honorarily enjoy your turkey, I think is to get like your nice, big, fruity, jammy Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir, I think, is a highlight for Thanksgiving. It goes with so many flavor profiles on the table. Um, 
probably some of the jammiest Pinot Noirs that you'll come across will come from California by far. So right out the gate, I would definitely do like Sidori Pinot Noir. And then you also have your uh, cloud line from Willamette Valley. That one also is a huge fruit bomb in a bottle. So Turkey, unfortunately, is a somewhat bland, somewhat dry bird. And we really want to pump up that flavor and we want to give it life so we can do that with wine. I'm still waiting for someone to marinate a turkey in wine because I think it totally needs to be something we try one day. And maybe turkey will be good at that point. Uh, chicken. I, you know what, honestly, if the bird wasn't so big and I didn't live in an 800 square foot apartment, I totally would. I think you know, we're both with you on that one. <laughs> I was just discussing this with Bianca. So it's just going to be me and my girlfriend this year for Thanksgiving. So we have a place that just opened back up for the first time since COVID started this week. It's a Mexican barbecue place up here in Portland, Maine called Terlingua. And they're doing half a smoked turkey with a bunch of different oh, side so dishes smart. and everything. So we're ordering that. That is so smart. I love so, that. So I'm hoping the smoke, so I'm, I love to smoke meats. Bianca knows I'm a big barbecue guy. I always have my smoker and everything during the summer. So they're the only place I've ever found that's a restaurant that really does it right up here. So hopefully the smoked turkey can be a little bit better than the typical roasted in the oven. It's not going to be as dry. Hopefully it'll be a little bit better. So. I mean, just like, just like this char and the smoke permeating the meat quality is like I'm already a fan. Like I'm really jealous that I don't live in Maine right now. <laughs> uh, We're definitely excited one, for it. I know a lot of people also sometimes will do chicken at Thanksgiving or they'll do chicken around the holiday season. Um, and I think another really good one for that is like your big buttery Chardonnay. So that Chardonnay luckily is so diverse for what you can get out of it. It's really easy to find a really fantastic affordable Chardonnay. Um, I personally love Bonterra Vineyards Chardonnay. It's organic. They are super biodynamic. That is so important for the land quality of the wine. Um, and you're not only supporting what they represent, but you're doing something good for the planet by purchasing and backing wineries like that. Um, you also have a really easy to find one. It's called Shug. That one is also from California. It's from Sonoma Coast. I would definitely say that one is another fantastic one. Uh, if you want to go a little bit higher, uh, Farniente, that's one that just about everyone's heard of. Farniente is a huge butter bomb. The quality in that wine is gorgeous. So that's also another stellar bottle to bring out to the table. I don't know how many people do roasted chicken or baked chicken during the holidays, but I do know I've heard people do it at all. So I wanted to at least include that one. Um, baked ham. I know baked ham because I've seen it. It has like little sticks of pineapple and cherries on it for some reason. I still can't figure out what that's about. But ham is so salty and nothing goes better with salty than sweet. That's like such an iconic flavor in the food world. Everyone loves that combo. So for me, baked ham has to go with a sweet Riesling absolutely must and it's so light it's literally something that your mom your grand your grandma your great great aunt that's hanging out at thanksgiving they're all going to really enjoy a bottle like that because it reminds them of probably the more approachable wines that they've enjoyed all their life so sweet riesling is another really great one 
I prefer to get all of my Rieslings from Mosul, from Germany. Um, very easy to find. Dr. Lucen is a very popular one. Um, what was the other guy? Uh, Trimbach Riesling from Alsace. That's actually from France, but that's another really great one. Uh, I recently discovered another one. It's called Single Post, like, you know, post office. And that is also from Mosul. And to this day, I still can't figure out why they called it that name. Very not Germanic at all. So that's another weird one that I found that is like really good. Have either of you ever had like ham around the holidays like that? Uh, I think yeah. we do at Christmas time. Christmas is usually. ham for us every year, yeah. Christmas is ham? Christmas yeah. ham, yeah. And Easter, of course, when you get into the spring. <laughs> not really, not really like the lamb good. holiday. I thought... I thought lamb was the spring meat. Not for us, oh, I guess. Our, I don't our know. family doesn't do lamb. I wish they did. We're actually yeah. doing lamb this Thanksgiving, though. So this will be my first time having a rack of lamb for Thanksgiving. I have lamb on my list, so you can try out this wine with your killer lamb this we year. Will. <laughs> um, so I'm going to dip into my, into my Hispanic heritage. And I also put roasted pork on my list. And roasted pork very similar to my barbecue man down there, definitely Zinfandel. So Zinfandel is a big one for me when it comes to any kind of roasted or smoked like meat, any kind of barbecue nest. If barbecue is even pronounced in the house when you're eating this meat, you need to have Zinfandel. Zinfandel is a fantastic, bold wine. It's huge fruity nature. You have like red and blue and black fruit in there and then you're going to have like all these other beautiful flavors that intermingle with that smokiness that just really complete the meal so zinfandel is a huge one for me i really like uh the prisoner the saldo zinfandel that one is absolutely outstanding uh deloche from uh california is another great one i have in my house behind me i actually have turley Shirley's Infidel is so iconic and it's so beautiful right from the bottle um, that it's really hard to compete, like to find a better Zinfandel than Turley. Uh, and then last but not least, lamb. I would definitely say lamb needs to be enjoyed with Amarone. So Amarone is from Italy. It is made from drying out the grapes on mats, like via the sun. The sun dries them out completely. It's not something that they've modernized at all. And it creates such a rich and depth and flavor for this wine that it complements that very unique flavor of lamb because lamb isn't quite as gamey as venison. It's not beef by any means. It's very unique. So I actually picked a really unique to uh, wine to go with it. So that one, also Amarone tends to be a little bit on the sweeter side. You almost get a figginess, black cherry and amaretto note out of Amarone. So it's such a crowd pleaser because you feel like you're drinking Cabernet, but you're not getting punched and kicked in the face by tannins. So a lot of people tend to really enjoy it. Sounds like something we'll have to pick up. <laughs> yeah, they 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 can sometimes be a little expensive, but for me, I was actually able to find a really great one for like twenty something dollars. And most of the times, the ones you're going to see on retail are like fifty to seventy. There's a few that you can find that are like twenty, thirty dollars that are beautiful. So, in your experience, 
you're at the holidays and of course people during the main course are stacking their plates with everything on the table do you tend to pair for the main meat like the meat that's on the table or are you kind of thinking big picture like okay I want this because it goes with everything or do you really focus on that main dish uh, I focus a little bit on everything and I like to have everyone have like an empty glass in front of them and have the, I like typically round it to like three bottles. So you'll have like your three bottles that kind of like circle around the whole table. So a big one for your more traditional American Thanksgiving, they're going to have like the turkey, obviously, and then when I look at the table, I almost always see things that are super buttery, or you're going to have like your cranberries, your sweet potatoes, like those other like really like not fruity, but those very quirky flavors that are super easy to pair with. So for a traditional American Thanksgiving, I think all you need on the table genuinely is Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Riesling. I think that's it. If you, I mean, even if you want to take Riesling out, like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, you are set. You literally can alternate between the two. They go with everything on the table. If you're talking like side dishes. I know that so many people have super buttery things like rolls or biscuits or croissants, which are the better option. Or they'll have like mac and cheese, which is also on a super buttery, oily, just yummy kind of dishes. And Chardonnay complements that so well. You also have like your cranberry sauce or whatever, whatever for some reason cranberries make it onto the table, even though they're the weirdest fruit a la carte I've ever had in my life. They're a great garnish, they're good for photographs, but they're such a weird fruit to eat. That goes so well with Pinot Noir. Like the acids and the fruit and the two actually complement very well. Turkey stuffing, I think, is also really delicious with Pinot Noir for some reason. I've had it before and I cannot say I want to try it with anything else. I just, I found my match. And then like everything from like green bean casserole to sweet potato, anything definitely goes best with Riesling. Nick, sorry. I didn't hear, I didn't hear okay. No. <laughs> I was waiting for you, Viak. <laughs> we're we're not on tonight, Nick. Me and you need to get on the same page here. Um, so when you're transitioning from your Thanksgiving dinner, because all those wines obviously are incredible and it's great to have those essentials on the table. You're moving into dessert. Are you team dessert wine or are you team cocktail or are you team just sticking to those wines that you were already drinking at the dinner table I'm actually gonna throw you for a loop and I actually circle my I circle my game around coffee drinks so I make everything from like like basically coffee cocktail supreme so for me like when I think of Thanksgiving dessert it's it's the pie it's the pie day of the year like forget actual like March 14th this is pie day. And for me, you're going to have like pecan pie is probably really popular. Uh, pumpkin pie and cherry pie. Very surprised cranberry pie is not on there. But uh, <laughs> pecan pie, I love nutty things with chocolate. 
So I've done like mocha martinis with like a chocolate drizzle to go together with that. I think that was like a really cool one. Um, pumpkin pie, I actually really, really love with affogatos where you just do the scoop of vanilla ice cream and you pour espresso on top of it. Just because I think vanilla ice cream and pumpkin pie already go very well together. And you have that super, super sweet pumpkin pie that like the espresso just goes so nicely with. And then cherry pie, I've done like an amaretto coffee with uh, whipped cream on top. And that one, that one was insane. I, I was very happy I brought the amaretto bottle that year. Well, Nick yeah. and I both love coffee drinks. I know that. Definitely, I so can definitely those, agree with the coffee three, on the back end. Of those three, Nick, what what would you go with? I'm trying, I'm trying to get on the same page with you since obviously our biscuit and bread roll dreams are out the window. <laughs> All right, so here's the issue. I'm not a big dessert guy either. I'll have a couple bites of the pecan pie but that's definitely my favorite. I love it, but I can't have too much of it after a couple of bites. I'm like, all right, too sweet. It's enough. I'm sick of it. I'm going <laughs> dinner twice. <laughs> I'm going back to the stuffing. I'm going back to the potatoes, more gravy, yeah. more biscuits. So he's that's not joking. He's at. been like that since he was like, yeah, Nikki two dinners. That's me. <laughs> Never but, <laughs> ever had dessert. <laughs> um, but yeah, coffee at the end of the night for sure is where I'm going, but I'm probably just drinking it straight. But the affogato, as you explained, the espresso over vanilla ice cream sounds awesome. Honestly, it's just good on its own. I won't lie. That that has to be something that I tap into in the middle of my work shift sometimes. I'm like, ooh, that's going to help me get until the closing. <laughs> what about you, Bianca? For dessert? Yep. Yeah, dessert or the coffee drinks or... I love dessert. I am not a fruit person. I love chocolate. So I'm always anything chocolate. Um, not even a big apple pie fan. I know people love apple pie, especially at Thanksgiving. I don't like pumpkin. I, I'm like that person. That's like, I don't Wait, like pumpkin. So you're, you're like everything <laughs> that Starbucks markets around. Yeah, there. They, they shouldn't market to me because I'm a bad person to market to. I've tried all the pumpkin. I've given it a shot, but it's just not it's just not my thing. I don't like it. I love cinnamon. I love chocolate. I love vanilla. I like, I think those more rich flavors. Um, I do love pecan pie. I think it kind of falls into that rich category. So I would love, I love anything coffee mixed with different liquors. Um, I also like trying dessert wines. We do a lot with my fiance's family. He, they, they love trying new ones. So they're a lot of fun when it comes to taste testing at the dessert table. Uh, so we definitely do that. And I know uh, one of my favorites, and I know Nick, you've had that I tried more very, very recently was the raspberry wine from Neshoba. That's a, a fabulous, just like dessert wine, which is actually a fruit-based winery from up here in New England. So we have some really cool local spots that make some nice like fruity dessert wines. No kidding. I've yeah. seen so many... Fruit wines have been popping up here in Ohio. Like they're they're slowly trickling their way down. But I've seen everything from raspberry, cherry, to peach to blueberry fruit wines. And for me, it's almost like, but wine is fermented grapes. So what are we doing? <laughs> so but it still makes its way onto my table. Yeah. I'm absolutely not like, I'm not like stiff arming you. But I'm I'm questioning if you're making it into my cart. 
So that is kind of a debate that you could go down into. For example, the other night we were interviewing, we have a couple people coming to the podcast doing both meteries, honey wine, and that's a completely different ballgame. That's what I'm actually drinking tonight. It's a honey grape wine (laughs) from Ancient Fire Meadery out of New Hampshire. But this is uh, something that compared to even a lot of the wines, I think this on the Thanksgiving table would be great with any of the above foods like all of it because it's a little bit thicker it definitely has some of that sweetness that you would get and you expect but it doesn't have any of the dryness it leaves this really nice mouthfeel after you're drinking it and you could just drink so much of this it's delicious you can have it all night and I just think kind of that extra I don't know it's something about the mouthfeel of it would pair really well with the turkey and the gravy and everything like that No, I see where you're coming from. I mean, for me, so I'm super weird. I absolutely cannot stand anything extremely sweet, extremely salty, extremely spicy. Um, Actually, I won't lie. My boyfriend makes fun of me because he thinks that most of my food is super, super like nasty bland. But it turns out that I am probably a super taster. I probably have way too many taste buds. And even like just plain black coffee tastes painfully bitter to me. So it's something that I've always struggled with. So for me, when the first time I ever tried mead, I thought it was straight sugar syrup with a little bit of like neutral wine spirit. I was, it, it knocked, it knocked my socks off with how sweet it was. So for me, I, I couldn't handle doing that much sweetness all night definitely something I'd limit to like a part of the meal, but it's not something I could do all night. A lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of people actually do enjoy sweet wine. They do enjoy having a more approachable kind of wine. That's kind of like the whole like young people argument that young people don't drink like good wine. They're stuck in like white Zin or Moscato land and like for me, mead is, mead is not an end of your wine journey. It should be like a stepping stone into the wine world. I By no means yeah. it should be the end. I I'm think a, it stands alone. I like the mead, I do. But it definitely has a sweeter flavor. And I'm so used to drinking like really bold red wines. Like that's, I love red wine. I, I think, I don't even really like a lot of white wines. And for me, it's like mead was almost... It was so different that when I went to, when we started tasting that and I just tried mead for the first time on our, on our podcast, um, it was so drastically different, but Nick is not quite as into wine. So I think for him, it was like, they're both very new, you know what I mean? So he's like kind of tasting everything. The and I think for me, it was though. like, and that's, and that's the right thing to do. <laughs> just literally taste everything and taste yeah. it three times because your palate is always changing and it's like unsettling with how much and how different your palate will change from like your experience through wine and how you acclimate to what you become accustomed to. It's insane what you will enjoy later. It's also super important the order that you try things. I actually uh, just came across this problem. uh, I want to say three weeks ago when I was organizing a tasting before, you know, COVID like completely shut down Ohio. I was setting up a wine tasting with one of the one of the local shops around here and I found all my wines and I was lining them up to taste. 
And I know I love the Chardonnay. I know I love the Chardonnay, but when I tasted it, it was, it tasted like this bland grocery wine that I've had in the past. I'm like, okay, what's wrong? Did I buy like a bad bottle or something? And my mistake was, is that I had a super sweet Riesling before. So now when I went to just like a really beautiful, elegant Chardonnay, it tasted blah to me. And it was the funniest thing because I really thought I bought a bad bottle. But like the order you taste things is so crazy important for when you're doing this kind of thing. So for me, that's also a super big point to like make sure if you're doing any kind of like tasting event or you're trying to do like a food and wine pairing, like the order of the food is so important too. Yeah, and it definitely depends on the level of sweetness because some of the meads we've tried that I've tried have been like overpowering and some of them have been very close to wine. It's same with the fruit. I mean, same with the fruit ones, like the ones we've had, I mean, it totally depends on the winery. It depends on the fruit that's in it. It depends on how long it's aged for. It's like so many factors and that's what makes wine so interesting. And I think that's why people love it. But being a super taster, I'm sure you try <laughs> everything and, and taste everything in everything. So <laughs> it's like, it's like a blessing and a curse. Like to this day, the weirdest one I've ever had was it was a cigar old vines Zinfandel from California, from Lodi. And to this day, I will swear on my grave that I can taste beef jerky in that wine. Swear to God, tastes like beef jerky. That's it a is really the, interesting taste. It is the strangest <laughs> flavor. And, and I've tasted everything from, from barn to wet rock to mushrooms in wine. To this day, the weirdest thing that I can ever say word for word is that I've tasted beef jerky in a wine. Someone and probably drops a strip of leather thing. in there. <laughs> yeah, and with the mead, so I feel, I'm not a big sweet guy. Like I said, I'm not really into desserts. I'm not into super sweet wines either. I do enjoy a nice like dry wine and everything. My go-to drinks are beer and whiskey primarily. Ooh. So I'm no stranger to like, you know, going down into some odd flavors that a lot of people are kind of afraid of. But I think it's more of the, like I was saying, the texture of it and kind of the feel that we leave behind. Maybe it's more similar to like a whiskey and a texture or something like that. And that's why I like it. And I, the sweetness for some reason at first, when I first was getting into like drinking some bothered me, but as I kept kind of going and trying a little bit more and a little bit more, you kind of get past that. I think my mouth got accustomed to it. And then there's a lot of other flavors that you can start pulling out of it. And the sweetness, like kind of the natural sweetness of a honey, isn't the same that you're going to get out of the sugars out of like berries or fruits or something that you might find in some other fruit wines. Oh, a hundred percent. No, but the mouthfeel, wait, when you're talking about the mouthfeel, do you say, uh, so you know the whole, the whole rule of milk when it comes to wine, do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. Like, okay. So, uh, a really easy way to deduce like the body or the mouthfeel of your wine is to think about what it feels like when you drink like 2% milk to uh, like, or skim milk to 2% milk to whole milk. So like your 2% is your like, or your skim milk is like your lightest, least covers the tongue kind of, kind of wine. Your 2% is more that middle ground. And then whole milk, you, you feel it everywhere. It coats everything in a nice thick coat before it goes down. So 
like on that scale, where does meat fall? Is it like light body to you, mid body or full body? It's definitely full body. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It coats everything, your tongue, the cheeks, your roof of your mouth, the throat. <laughs> it's the you honey can, in it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that like makes so much sense when you're saying that you're a big whiskey person because like the whiskey is I have in here. This is this is my beautiful little bar cart. Um, I have like I love my Woodford. I love I love my JML, but I also love my Buffalo Trace. So for me, when you were like describing the mouthfeel, I was like trying to think of the whiskeys, and yeah, that's definitely that's definitely very similar. And the only other full full bodied wines that you're gonna get out of that most frequently are those big bold tannic peppery wines that probably aren't your jam yep so Makes but sense. if you if you end up doing thanksgiving with Bianca's, she sends you leftovers try the amarone <laughs> and uh, lamb combo i'm telling you about well, yeah, i know i'll have to have her ship me up some of that lamb <laughs> up and meet her halfway to mass yeah <laughs> it's good pa- paul's family like just got into lamb not long ago and it has been like my family Nick and I because we grew up together our parents don't do lamb like they don't do we don't really really even do pork or ham I mean we really <laughs> just did turkey and sides were a big thing it's just like we love side. I love sides I don't know about Nick but when it came to like those flavors I mean when you're introduced to them later on in life I feel like they're so much more interesting because you just it's new, you know, so it's still new for me, but I don't know. I'll have to bring some to you, Nick, because it's very good. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to trade you some of my adobo royal trumpet <laughs> mushroom stuffing. Yeah. That's going to be gone by the time I get there. We both know that. Maybe so. some of the slow braised <laughs> collard greens with pork belly. I'll be eating good Thanksgiving. I'll be all right. <laughs> okay, hold on, back up. You said collard greens are making it on your table? Uh, as part of this so like I explained so the Mexican barbecue place they're doing that Thanksgiving box so I ordered it from them and I'm gonna pick it up uh, that's how I get the smoked turkey we got one pound of smoked andouille sausage adobo royal trumpet mushroom stuffing jalapeno maple cranberry sauce which I'm a big spice guy and I don't normally like cranberry sauce so I might actually like that one slow collard greens with pork belly classic whipped potatoes home style gravy parker house rolls and a house honey butter that's my thanksgiving meal right there and this is why nick's intro is barbecue beer and whiskey (laughs) oh man that is that is fire right there you caught me at that jalapeno cranberry sauce like what you're going to talk about that to me like all the way here in ohio i don't have anything like that within miles or states away from me (laughs) and now that's just gonna haunt my food dreams Thank Gotta you, get Nick. out here to Maine, Terlingua yeah. Barbecue. They have huh? great food. <laughs> is Port- it Maine, the land of lobster? It is. That it is, is true. I mean, yeah, that's what they say. It's really the whole Northeast, though. I feel like you can get Maine lobster anywhere. Portland's like a mecca for point. all food, though. Like, Portland has everything. Like, their restaurants are compared to, I mean, I'm in Mass. And we know people everywhere in New England. And Portland has probably some of the best restaurants. And that's Arguably, funny. like, all different cuisines. Everywhere. Like, when we talk to, completely unsolicited, like, when we talk to J.M. Hirsch, for example, who's a food writer uh, and columnist, he said, you know, we asked him what your favorite places to go. He said, there's a couple places in Boston. There's not really anywhere else in Mass. There's nowhere in New Hampshire. But Portland, Maine's awesome. It, it's the only place around here that everyone, you know, it's renowned for the food the spot yep dude that's 
it sounds it sounds very similar to Columbus. Like Columbus is quite literally a foodie city. Like you come here for the food. Also, I learned a couple years ago that any big places that are trying to branch out and see if their restaurants will do well in other locations, they open up a shop in Ohio because we have such a diverse population of people obsessed with food that you're going to get an accurate representation of the damn nation in one strike. So we are definitely food oriented here. Like you, you can find so many different foods here. It's like anything from like your traditional pho to Nigerian food, you have all kinds of Mediterranean spots here. And then like, don't even get me started on all the different varieties of Hispanic food that you can find. Like everything is like that little abuelitas in the kitchen. <laughs> and that's one thing that I found up here too, that you didn't, you know, we, Bianca and I both grew up near Boston and up here, you know, it's the first time I've ever gone somewhere and it's not just like, a burrito place there's a colombian place there's an arapera however if that's how you pronounce it there's all these different like there's a honduran place there's all these different local cultures there's african markets european markets asian markets it's everything it's soup for a place that you know it's no one thinks of maine we're the north woods up here like no one thinks of it as a culturally diverse place but in portland the food and everything it's like it's so expansive you can get everything here Bogusha's Polish wild. Deli. That's another one that I've had to go try. There's everything. Dude, that is wild. I like I personally have never even thought about going up to Maine just because like most of my childhood I actually was split between Ohio and Jersey. So I kind of I got my I got my good chunk of New England state like as a kid. And to this day, like, there's still some iconic, like, food that I absolutely just, I have no expectations to find any sim anything similar to it here in the Midwest, just because it doesn't cross the line. It doesn't, even if you try to be as authentic as possible, like, some of the food just doesn't cross over that line. And that's, uh, I imagine what it's like with fresh seafood out there. That's something that we've always had, you know, so <laughs> right? we could go anywhere. Yeah. You don't have it. Even a couple states in, you know, we go from here to Maine, we go to New Hampshire. It's not that far, but we're up in like the lakes region, New Hampshire. Like I was trying to find a fish market or something like, wow, we're only a couple hours away from the coast and there's nothing. <laughs> you know? I mean, meanwhile in Ipswich, we have like four fish markets. <laughs> Downtown. Dude, that would be a dream. I am such like ride or die food. Seriously, sushi had it today. I literally could eat sushi for any and every occasion. If you give me the opportunity multiple times in a week, kind of afraid to see what my mercury levels are at to be hundred <laughs> percent honest. But if I had access to that kind of fish market, like that close to me, Oh, I'd be in trouble. Yep. There's definitely some good sushi up here too. We got it so, all. Bianca, you said that it's going to be a small Thanksgiving for you too. Yeah. Well, are I'm you here cooking? anymore <laughs> um I so I don't cook like the main courses I usually do a giant cheese board and a pie that's or, my or that's a cake that falls apart or a cake although I've made some good cakes next so I don't know what that's all about I've made some good cakes in the past I, I definitely remember plenty of cakes that had not enough milk or something that just crumbled that's by the time they reached the you table you saw me in the kitchen with my <laughs> test cakes and my test cakes oh. tend to fall apart that's what happens when you live together. You know, you just, 
Oh, that's brutal. Brothers are harsh, man. <laughs> Nick, that's brutal. <laughs> he is brutal. Uh, call I mean, it like it is. But here's, here's the thing. Okay, <laughs> yes, they may have fallen apart, but were they still edible? I don't like cake, so probably not. He doesn't eat cake, so you wouldn't even know. Okay, so where are you to have yeah, it? If it's if it we're falling apart. Well, if I can't eat it, then it better at least look good, right? I didn't bring the fall apart cake to the Thanksgiving table. That was like the <laughs> that was the cake before the cake that went to the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> like you know, you pregame and then you actually drink during the game. She's pregaming her cakes. All right. There's a reason I don't make cake anymore. I'm, I'm, he's not completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, little uncalled for. Also, Nick, you don't bring food to the holiday tables ever anyway. You just, oh, yeah? Last yeah. getting last Thanksgiving, I made a whole brisket, 13 pounds. Oh, that is true. I forgot I had, about that. I had yeah. one wait, wait, piece wait, wait. of food. So, <laughs> it was smoked, right? It was a oh, smoked oh, brisket. Yeah. Smoked yeah. brisket. Took me like 13, 14 hours to smoke. He loves right way. Like, uh, like charcoal, or do you pick like a specific kind of wood that you smoke yours with? Uh, hickory logs for the most part, and then like usually charcoal beds, like natural charcoal. So, definitely, I always like to go stick burner. So, real wood feeding the real wood. I don't really like the um electric ones as much, you don't get the same smokiness that you want when not you're going the same. barbecue. So, they say yeah, it's the same, it's not. no, so you go a bed of the natural lump charcoal um and then you feed the actual logs ongoing and i'll usually just get like the seasoned hickory logs or something nice yeah. like depends on it's, but it depends on what i'm smoked, making like a lot of times i've really enjoyed anything that's like fruit wood like cherry wood i've had peach wood before like any of the fruit woods for some reason i really really gravitate towards. so they are much more mellow and they don't leave so there's kind of a scale kind of like, all right, so we're getting out of wine and getting into the smoking. I can get into the technicals and this stuff. Um, I'm sorry. You so, they do go well yeah, together. So you have and really. And wine go hand in hand. No, it's, it's perfect. I'm just saying. Attention. You can talk about wine all day. This is my expertise. I can talk about this stuff. I don't know anything about wine, but this I can go into. So mesquite is about as smoky and as harsh as you can get. So you only want to use mesquite on like a something like a brisket that can really handle that extra smoke because um, it's only on the outside. It's not going to penetrate and brisket's flavorful enough that can handle it. If you're doing anything kind of, you want to lighten up the wood as you get into lighter foods. So as you're gravitating into pork, that's when you're going to want to go with more like a cherry or a pecan. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. That's a fitting one. Um, anything like that. Hickory is on the smokier side, but not as harsh as uh mesquite that hickory is my favorite overall when i'm going for either a brisket or if i'm going for a pork like pulled pork or something like that or ribs for sure and then if you're doing chicken you want to go down into like an apple wood or a cherry or something like that keep it light because oh, okay. you don't want to overpower it so now i understand why i absolutely don't like overly smoked food because it's just way too strong for me yeah <laughs> I and like it's Anytime I see mesquite on a menu, I usually stay away from it because I know that it probably means it's overly smoked, you know, and they're trying to find, I don't know if it's an excuse for that or whatever, and they're just calling it that or what, but, you know, hickory is usually good, but can be strong depending on what you're doing it with, um, but I kind of stay away from hickory. It's a little too much. That is hilarious. I, you know, I'm, do I'm doing a little self-discovery right now. 
no joke. I, cause I've never known the science or the levels of that kind of flavor profile. Cause for me, smoke is its own identity. Like you, it's hard to replicate anything but the real thing. So for me, it's like really funny because I do love smoky wine and super smoky liquor. Like my go-to liquor when I go out is actually scotch. And it is hilarious the faces I get when everyone's like Tito, Tito Soda, Tito Soda, Hendrix, and Obon. <laughs> like it is, it is the It is unusual, thing. but it's not a bad thing. No, it's, I mean, <laughs> apparently I'm just kind of like whipping it out, like right there, like right off the gate, like drink with me or catch up. But it's hilarious that I don't like overly smoked food. I don't like overly smoked caviar or fish or jerky or meats or anything like that. But I am obsessed with smoky wine and smoky liquor. And it really it all comes down to, I guess, the amount of smoke that you do. And you can have something that smoke, you know, if it's used, even with like a mesquite, if it's done right, and it's not, you know, overly smoked, you didn't make it too dry. If you really do a good job on it, it'll be fine. But it's just tough to find anywhere. I don't care where you're in the country, unless you go to the right spot, it's tough to find somewhere that actually does smoking the right way. And if you're not doing it at home, and you can't control it yourself, like, there's plenty of things that I've smoked that came out great. And then there's a couple things that I've done that are like, Mm, yeah, you know, you're always, I'm always my harshest critic. So I can tell, you know, even if everyone's like, oh, this is great. This is great. I'm like, mm, it's not as good as the last three I made. So something's yeah, up with it. It's a personal standard. Yep. But that's why when I go to restaurants or something, especially specifically barbecue places, I can tell pretty much when I walk up, I'm like, is this going to be good? It's going to be not. There's people that I'll talk to, oh, this is the best place. And I'll show up. I'm like, all right, I'm hopeful. Everyone says it's going to be the best. I'm like, what is this food? How are you passing this off as barbecue? This is terrible. But you have to, you know, really think about what you're eating when you're going to judge it like that. And, uh, you have to pay attention to the right stuff. So, sorry, this is also another question. I've never actually gone in depth with anyone that knows anything about barbecue. So I'm just getting in all my little questions now. You're free to not care about this. But seriously, is it barbecue does it have to have barbecue sauce on it? No. No way. And Thank the, you. And the best, <laughs> Thank you. honestly, no way. <laughs> so one of the best things I make is a uh, pulled pork. And there's actually like a smoking meat forum online that I've been a part of in the past where you can, you know, all everyone shares their recipes and things they do. And some of the best barbecue I've had is actually no barbecue sauce. When I do ribs, I don't put barbecue sauce on them. I don't even way. like barbecue sauce. Um, I am so pro like smoked meats with no barbecue sauce, just seasonings. Yeah, I mean, that's so when you yeah. season it right and you put the smoke on it, you don't need that. So when I'm doing ribs, it's a little bit of mustard so that the seasoning sticks on it, but you don't really mm. taste. It doesn't come through. It just to help helps the seasoning sticks. So you get a nice bark on it and you do like chili powder, cayenne powder, black pepper, white pepper, salt, uh, sugar white and brown sugar for sure are the big things when you're trying to get that good bark that's what really it caramelizes and leaves that nice thick and the color bark is on the so top. richer yep so that's what you go with with that and you know if you're doing all of those spices and you're smoking it you don't need extra sugary you know ketchup based barbecue sauce on top of it because that's what yeah, it is that's i learned that actually when i first started getting into smoking meats like barbecue sauce 
it's just kind of like ketchup with added sugar and different things and like Worcestershire sauce. It's I still tomato based. Was just added sugar. It, it, and it's more. It just has <laughs> yeah. some other stuff. You just don't need it. If I'm putting two cups of sugar in my blend when I'm adding it to the meat, you don't need that. And then another one that I do is the pulled pork. I don't typically like to put barbecue sauce in that either. I always serve it like if you make a pork butt, for example, a pork shoulder, and you make it pulled pork, it's about eight pounds. There's plenty of meat. You can split it up. So I usually split it up into three. I'll do a sweet barbecue sauce, a spicy barbecue sauce. And in the middle, the other one that I'm going to do is just a, uh, like, it's called a finishing sauce, which isn't really a sauce. It's just the, um, actually the drippings from the meat mixed with basically like apple cider vinegar and some other stuff. And that's all you need. Cause that, when you mix it around, it gives it that nice, you know, tang that you want out of the vinegar. Um, and adds a little bit of extra kick to it instead of just having the meat straight, but you're not drowning with barbecue sauce and the actual flavors of the meat are coming through. Okay. So it's like when everyone does like either the gravy from the can, or you actually make the effort of making your own turkey gravy from the gristle, from the drippings. It's so much better. So it's, like that. it's definitely better, but it's different because the finishing sauce isn't really imparting that much flavor on it whereas gravy is typically going to be taking all so turkey for example the reason everyone's kind of like bleh turkey it's dry because all those fats are dripping down and that's what you're going to take and you're going to make the gravy out of and you're going to make it from the drippings and you're going to add that flavor back on so with this you're not really adding the flavor because you're not losing it when you're smoking the meat um you're just really taking it and giving it a little bit more moisture to kind of keep it alive. Yeah. And then the vinegar obviously is going to add a little bit of that vinegar tang to it. So you are getting a little bit of that, but other than that extra little kick, you're not really adding flavor outside of the flavors of the actual meat. All right. That makes, that makes a lot more sense. I'm sorry. I had like way too many questions now that I had a, a BBQ guru to walk me through it. <laughs> and well, listen, holiday I'm... wines, Nick. Holiday wines turn barbecue. <laughs> I see a barbecue and wine pairing in our future because it sounds like a topic the two of you are very interested in. I will go I in deep on that. 100%. Uh, you know what? I'll, I, will, I will go through and I will try my needs one more time. And I will see if I can actually get inspired <laughs> enough from a meat to try and pair it with a barbecue subject. <laughs> you know, you can even, don't even worry about the meat. That's fine. We'll just get into the barbecue in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Nick would love that. <laughs> no, I could 100% get behind that idea. I love trying, I love trying like new foods, figuring out like really what goes into it. Like I am such a gastronomics like individual. I love seeing the science behind food. Because for me, I actually went to school and I took so much chemistry and that's why like, that's like why it actually intrigued me the most because it was really cool seeing the chemistry behind it. And for me, that's all that cooking is, especially, especially baking, but baking's its own monster. I, it's definitely too specific <laughs> of science. Yeah, you see, I don't bake. I take the, I throw pepper and salt in my foods and I cook them in a pan or however I'm going to do it and smoke or whatever I'm doing. And I take them as it is depending if I'm making pasta or something, I'll, you know, I might follow a recipe a bit for the most part. I just kind of go freestyle in the kitchen. I don't really, baking yeah, is too like specific. Cooking has, cooking has no bounds. Same with like, like wine, 
like wine pairings like obviously I just gave you probably the most like flavorful experiences of wine that you're going to try with your foods but by no means are you like handcuffed to stay by the rules like I love when people uh get all nervous when they order like a fish entree and they get nervous because they're ordering a red wine with it. And I'm like, I'm not judging you. That's what you like. I absolutely support you enjoying your food that way because you absolutely can. You're not restricted to what you're supposed to drink with what you're supposed to eat. And some people don't even think it like for me, for example, you know, being obviously into more beer and whiskey, like if I'm going to a restaurant and I want to have a beer, I want to have a whiskey. I'm not putting that much thought into what I'm eating after that because it's coming first and the beer is probably going to be pretty much gone by the time the food gets there anyway. Uh, Just get what you want, right? Get what you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like another really, uh, that's like another good point is that like, as a Psalm, I get asked all the time, like, what's your favorite wine? What's your favorite like region? What's your favorite whatever? And it's such a weird question now that I've been in like the wine world for so long, because what's great to me might be your worst nightmare, cough, cough, uh, biscuits and croissant rolls. Um, So it's like completely different from every person. And some people really are like tied into the whole like you have to pay for quality when that is a hundred percent not the case 70 percent of the 70 percent of the time yes I will say that is definitely what is happening you're paying for a better quality but for me a great wine is solely distinguished by what makes it great to you as an individual like hands down I was just talking about Farniente Chardonnay is it my favorite Chardonnay in the world? No, my favorite Chardonnay in the world is by far, it's a $5.99 bottle of Chardonnay that I got when I was a college student living with my sister and she was so anti-white wine and this was the first white wine that she enjoyed with me. So by far, that is my favorite Chardonnay right there. And it is, it's inexpensive. It's not from a reputable Chardonnay region. It is literally but it's still delicious. It still goes with so much food. And it was also very uh, broke cast college student friendly. So that made it even better. So it's really wines are solely distinguished of being great by what makes them great to you as, in, as a person. Wine is very personalized in my opinion. That's right. We can definitely agree with that. And I think uh, that is true for holidays as well. So for everyone who listened, we're going to put all the links We'll put, we'll probably put a blog together for this one, I think, because that way you guys can have a list of all the wine pairings and the wines that were recommended. And then uh, we will also include a link to your social. So if you want to let us know where everyone can find you. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, that's important too. Um, So my Instagram handle is at simply, S-I-M-P-L-Y, sommelier, S-O-M-M-E-L-I-E-R. So just simply sommelier. Awesome. And we are so excited to hopefully welcome you back on for a full dive into all things wine and barbecue. It sounds like it is an episode that you guys would love and that our audience would definitely love because they love hearing about food and wine. So let us look forward to that. Yeah. No, absolutely. (laughs) We definitely hijacked it with the barbecue. (laughs) We're going to have to give it its own highlight. 
it needs its own highlight now. I mean, it, it just, it's in your intro, Nick, and it was part of this conversation. And I think it's about time that we bring it to you. Waiting everybody. for this moment for months. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome for opening the door for you, Nick. Thank you. Again, thanks for coming on. We had a great time. Till next time. Cheers. 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 Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.